But what an honor it is to be here and share on this platform, a platform that's been formed for over 100 years, and it's something I always pray that I never take for granted. Before we begin, I just wanna say a big thank you and a welcome to the campuses watching online, including Short Creek, Sholo, and also the Long Beach campus. Can we let them know how much we appreciate them this morning? Come on, praise God, praise God, thank you. Who just enjoyed our 100-year series? We just came out of the 100-year series. Who had a good time? Come on, somebody. It was so good. I loved uh, having the extravaganza after last weekend. One thing I love that our church does really well is we understand that church is both holy and it's fun. Come on, somebody. And nothing says that a church is fun like watching a grandma on a mechanical bull. Can I get a quick amen? It was awesome. We got to see Pastor Luke. I got to see some kids and some grannies on the mechanical bull. And I'm actually kind of impressed at how long they lasted. It was pretty good. But church is still exciting, moving, and enjoyable no matter what season of life you're in. We're gonna actually dive right into our scripture this morning just because I wanna, I'm excited, I'm excited for this word. I wanna make sure I can uh, share the whole thing this morning. And it, the scripture will be from Psalm 84, verses one through four. It'll be on the screen behind me and I'll read it right now. It reads, how lovely is your dwelling place? O Lord of heaven's armies, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body, and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and even the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar. O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God, what joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. Praise God. Please join me in prayer as we invite the presence of the Holy Ghost into this service. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given me. Father, I pray that as my mouth opens up, let it be your word that comes out, your word with the power to bring life, your word with the power to heal, to restore, to give a new destiny. Father, I pray that those in this crowd can receive your word in their hearts, that they might act upon it. And in Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. So the verse we just read in Psalms paints a true picture of a healthy church, a church where people are excited to enter into. A church where people can't help but be excited and sing and praise God. A church where everyone finds not only their calling from God, but finds a place in the church to serve and connect with others. See, I, truth be told, I wish I could say that every church is like the church described in Psalms 84. But I'm sure a lot of us have heard of churches or perhaps even encountered churches, small local churches, that sometimes feel like the opposite. A church that was full of rules, regulations, and, and feelings of shame. Or maybe we remember a bitter old person in the church who hated the idea of having fun and riding a mechanical bull. <laughs> a good amount of us can recall unhealthy things we've seen in churches, but that doesn't mean that all churches are like that. There's no such thing as a perfect church, but there is such thing as a perfect God. You see, I found that it's in the moments where I obey God and serve God the most in my life that my life begins to be the best it can be. And that's the same with how we can influence church. When the church is obeying God and bringing life, it can influence the world. So the title of my sermon this morning is a title I'm very uh, happy to share with you. The title of my sermon this morning, for those taking notes, is titled America's Friendliest Church. I'm like, I'm sure if you guys are like, okay, here we go. Come on, it's gonna be good. <laughs> I love it, your applause are too epic. America's Friendliest Church. I'm also proud to say, just like on a side note, I actually did officially file a trademark application so we can actually be America's Friendliest Church. I just think we should be able to freely promote who God has called us to be. Come on, somebody. Can I get a quick amen this morning? <laughs> but more than, this isn't more than just something I say. It's not something I say on a whim just to stir us up and it doesn't, you know, in a pointless way. The church is truly a church when it's friendly because Jesus was friendly. I found that the more like Jesus a church is, the friendlier it seems to be. 
The more it seems to care for others, the more it seems to welcome others, the more miracles that seem to flow forth from it. When, when I think of Dream City Church, I can't help but come face to face with the reality that not only are we a very friendly church, but we're also a life-bringing church. One of my favorite quotes of the spirit of, of, a, of a healthy church is that the church is not an enforcer of rules, but it's an outpost of grace. It's an outpost of grace. Now, an outpost is often symbolic of someone who's desperate, someone who's weary, someone who's at the end of the rope and they see something far away and they know that's the place they have to go next. That the church is a place that people look to saying, I can't not miss a service. I can't not be in the house of God. In other words, we're not a feel-good club for the righteous, but we're the active movement of the presence of God. You see, the church has always known what we stand for and not what we stand against. Pastor Tommy Barnett always said it's much better to be known as, as to what we fight for and not what we fight against. Dream City Church is for the family. We're for the kingdom of God. We are for the truth and we are for the future. That is what Dream City Church is about. You see, when I look at what our church has accomplished, is accomplishing and plans to accomplish, not only is it captivating and inspiring to be a part of, but also it's evident that it's gonna, be, it's gonna require us to be friendly, to make disciples. Believe it or not, church, our call from Jesus wasn't to make enemies. Our call from Jesus wasn't to win every internet debate about politics and theology. Our call from Jesus was to make disciples and baptize others into the faith they wanted to be a part of. The only way people will want to be baptized into the faith is if they have an encounter with the truth of God and his name is Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest ways to show people the truth of Jesus and the truth of the discipleship is by being friendly, is by being welcoming, is by being encouraging, is by being involved in more than just a surface level relationship. In, in the Psalm we read in, in verse three, Psalm 84, three, it says, even the sparrow has found a home, which is a beautiful picture of the heart of God. And so point number one, point number one, Everyone can find a home in the house of God. Point number one is everybody can find a home in the house of God. See, the church is wonderful because inside the church, has a, everybody inside the church has a unique backstory and a unique calling from God. There aren't any two people the same. In church, we have successful businessmen and women. We have military families. We have the families who've been in church since they were born. We have the families who have been here since this church was born. We have good-looking people. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> but what I love about the verbiage used by God in Psalm 84 is that it didn't say that the beautiful dove found a home in church. It didn't say the majestic eagle made his nest in the house of God. But it was a sparrow. It was a common bird. A bird that everybody knows, sees, and, and understands of, and honestly forgets about. That even a sparrow has found a home. Even the lowly find a place in church. Even the people who no one seems to notice find a place in church. Even those who have broken paths. Even those who currently are going through a stressful and painful season. Those fighting the mountain in front of them, going through the dry season, wondering when their breakthrough will happen. They too have a home in the house of God. See, everyone has a place for them in the house of God. Everybody has a place here in the house of God. The sad part is, is that not everyone chooses to make their home in the house of God. Whether it be due to a past trauma they've suffered in the church, or maybe they're caught up in the ways of the world, or maybe no one's ever shown them the life that comes from a church. Dream City Church, if we wanna see the kingdom of God grow in the community around us and the world, then we need to be willing to take what we get in here and bring it out there that we need to live outside the church what we learn inside the church, that we gotta bring the friendliness with us. 
We aren't America's friendliest church only because we're friendly for the 60-second meet and greet, <laughs> but how friendly we are outside these walls. If I'm being honest, that's, that's really the true test of discipleship. It's not how you act when everyone's around you on a Sunday, but how do you act when no one else is around you but God? How do you act when you're in line and that person in front of you is taking forever to order a Chick-fil-A? And you're like, they only serve chicken. They only serve one thing. Do you want it with cheese or no cheese? There you go, boom, I'll order your food for you. But how are you gonna act in that situation? I gotta tell you what, ever since I started calling ourselves America's friendliest church, it's been like that annoying little gnat in the back of me because I realize I can't be mean anymore. <laughs> I had to be nice in case someone says, don't you go to that friendly church? <laughs> That's a real test of discipleship. You see, our faith is made evident, it's made real, not by how we act on Sundays, but by how we act on Mondays and Saturdays. See, that's how I know that we at Dream City Church are doing a good job in discipleship. We have so many wonderful things that go on each and every day spreading the goodness of God by going out into the world and bringing people into the house of God. I'll never forget one of our uh, just most uh, beautiful ministries is our special needs ministry. Uh, pastor Tommy Barnett, years ago, the, the senior pastor, the, the founding father, the patriarch of this church, got a word from God that he said, pastor, uh, God told Pastor Tommy, he says, if you will go after those nobody wants, then I will bring in those everybody wants. And so Pastor Tommy took that word to heart and he went after the special needs community. And most churches will integrate them in the middle or perhaps give them a special room up the back, but Pastor Tommy ensures they have front row seating. He ensures they have people watching them, people tending for them. That Pastor Tommy understood that when Jesus said, when you do this for the least of these, you've done this for me. And Pastor Tommy built his life upon making sure that even the least of those could find a home in the house of God even the least of those. And I don't forget, we had a, a very terrific uh, man in the special needs ministry named Robbie, and he had actually grown up in this church, was born and raised in this church, and, and he was a man of faith who would come to men's prayer on Tuesdays. That's how you know how dedicated he was. He was a men's prayer man. He was incredible. And uh, one day, he suffered a heart attack in the middle of the night, and he went to be with the Lord, and by the grace of God, now he's in his perfect mind up in heaven. But I gotta tell you, there wasn't a day that goes by that Robbie's impact wasn't felt here, or there's probably not a memory he has that he wishes he regretted because he had found a home in the house of God. He had found a home in the house of God. I'll never forget another story when I was youth pastor. I had actually just started being the high school pastor and I was you know, wanting to make a big splash in the local high schools. And one day this, this, this teenage boy, about 15 years old, walked into to youth on a Sunday and I got to meeting him. I said, this is a really cool kid. How am I just meeting you? He says, I don't know. I said, but we're gonna be best friends right now. There you go. <laughs> I just spoke it into existence. And it was really cool. He started coming for about four weeks and I was just so happy to have him. He was making a lot of friends. He was really enjoying and I could really tell that God had a hold of his life. But then I had stopped seeing him. I stopped seeing him come and obviously, you know, a week, maybe he's on vacation, maybe something happened, but it had been about a couple months. So I began to do some research as to what happened. And uh, th this young man had gone to one of the local high schools and he'd actually gotten so, so bullied that he wanted to take his life. And it was just so sad, he, he tried to take his life, but in the middle of the whole thing, his dad walked in to see what was happening and, and, and his heart just broke. And so he went to a mental care facility, that's why I didn't see him. So after figuring this out, I made it my job to call him once a week, every single week, just to give him a call about an hour of my time, just to let him know that I love him and care for him. But I'll never forget something that he told me as we were on the phone. I said, hey bro, how's your day? He's like, man, it's awesome, I'm making friends. They give us an hour to go and play video games and I'm, I'm the king of Super Smash Bros. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about, baby. You are the king. But I'll never forget something he told me that just shook me to my core. He said, hey Ash, thank you so much for not forgetting about me. 
I never get in that moment. You, you, we've heard that phrase a lot. Don't forget about me. I would never forget about you. It's like we see that in love songs and love stories and love movies. But when he said that to me, I began to think, well, how come I didn't forget about him? He wasn't anything hyper exceptional. He, he wasn't better or more loved by God. But what was it that caused me to not forget about him? Friends, it's because he'd found his home. He'd found his home in the house of God. I remember telling him exactly, I said, how could I forget about you? God loves you too much to forget you. You see, you may have been told that you're just a sparrow and that no one cares about you, but to God, you're more priceless than anything else. And that boy eventually graduated from the mental care facility, was completely set free and healed, and he actually went three more years into our youth program, going into summer camp. He graduated, and I still see him attending to this day because that man made his house in the house of God. And uh, just another story. Uh, man, a couple years ago, I met this, this young man who, I loved it because he said, hey, bro, like I met him. Hey, how'd you find about the church? He says, I just Google ch- searched top churches in the area, and this was the first one that came up. And I said, well, you're exactly right. We are the top church in the area. Come on, somebody. And I was like, Google can be used for good. And so he just Google searched our church, and, and he showed up. And I remember telling him, I met him on a Sunday. I said, hey, bro, we got a big youth program. He was about 15 at the time. I said, why don't you come back on a Wednesday and you'll be, come to our youth service. We meet a bunch of kids your age and it'll be awesome. And he said, absolutely, I'll be there. And he came on Wednesday. I got to talk to him and, and he, man, he just dove in head first and he's uh, been a part of the church ever since. But remember after enough time of meeting him and kind of that surface level, I wanted to dive in. What caused you to come to church, to search that that one day. I really wish I could say that a bunch of kids have done what you've done, but you're actually the very first one. And he told me, he said that, well, a couple years back, my mom died in a car accident. And he, he, was, he grew up Buddhist. He was a Buddhist uh, boy. And he says, and I was just so grief struck and, and my sister had found the Lord and she had told me to just try out church and see what happens, so I Google search church. And I was just so touched that he had had that and then he found his home here. But then not only that, after he had found his home in the house of God, he understood that that wasn't enough. He wasn't just called to live a saved life. He was called to live a called life. Can I get a quick amen this morning? You're not just here to be saved. You're here because you have a call from God. And so as we were going and as we were just kind of living life, he heard of our fine arts program. He heard that there was a way that he could use the gifts God gave him to bring him glory and also to have healthy competition and bring some silverware back for Dream City Church. Come on, somebody. And so he understood that there was a short sermon competition. And he so desperately wanted to talk about how God saved his life from the trauma he had faced and all the breakthrough he had. But this young man suffers from a terrible stutter, a terrible stutter. In fact, there are some times that you have conversations with him and you just have to... You know, a, a five-minute conversation turns into 15 minutes, and you just love him, and God bless him. And I remember him telling me he wanted to preach, and immediately that, like, you know, protective person comes in, and you just want to be like, ooh, maybe, maybe we just, like, do something else, because I don't want him to have that stutter on the stage and, and, and be embarrassed or whatever happened, but he was determined to do it. And he told me this. He said, because I remember hearing a story that Pastor Luke Barnett had a stutter when he was growing up, and now he's a terrific preacher. And I remember what was so crazy is because not only had this young man come in here and found a home, he began to make community. It's not just that he was living here, it's that he was a part of the house. That the stories from Pastor Luke became his stories. That the miracles from Pastor Tommy became his miracles. That the breakthrough from Pastor Brad became his breakthrough. That once you join this church, you're not just a person in the seats, you're absolutely 100% brought into the community and the greatness that God has in store for everybody else is in store for you. 
And so this young man, and I was just, you know, I was just like, literally, I am not gonna be that guy who says no to a dream, and I'm not gonna be the dream killer. I was like, you're gonna do it, you're gonna crush it. So I meet with him about once a week, and we'd go over the sermon, and i give him pointers. And the whole time in the back of my head, I'm like, God, just please, for the love of God, <laughs> don't let him stutter, please. Do whatever you can. And so we got to the fine arts competition. He was as nervous as all get out. And he gets up there, and he begins to talk, and for the first two and a half minutes, he was stutter free. And I was like, God, you are real. You are powerful. You are alive. I was like doing all this. And then the part where he started to talk about his mom. And that was actually the very first time he talking to anybody about what happened with his mom. And he began to stutter. He began to cry. And I'm like holding back tears myself. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> no. <laughs> like what's going on? He began to do all these things. But I never forget something I've never seen before is the judges at the fine arts competition began to encourage him. Judges typically don't encourage because they don't wanna give aid or support and have it be you know, lopsided or, or, or somewhat collusion. They begin to give him support and tell him to keep going. And not only did he take that in that moment because he, when he thought he started, he thought, oh, it's over, I guess it's gonna be done. But he kept on going and pushing forward. And when he finished, I was so proud, it's like a proud dad moment that he not only finished it on time, but he actually placed in the very top category of preachers in the entire country for the word that he said. You see, when a sparrow finds a home in the house of God, God can use him for extraordinary miracles. A destiny can be rewritten and a life transformed in the house of God. What makes a church so friendly is the sparrows who've made it their home. All people can come in and be revitalized in the house of God. Now, point number two, point number two, rescue, restore, rebuild. Point number two is rescue, restore, rebuild. A friendly church is not just a church that smiles and then forgets about you after you leave. We don't just like wave at you on the way out and say, finally, <laughs> thought he'd never leave. No, that's what you do for some Thanksgiving guests. <laughs> You're like, it's about time. <laughs> but uh, it's a church that asks you how life is going. And then we don't even uh, get frustrated when you actually like, you know, people are like, how's it going? You're like, good, okay, awesome. How's it going? Actually, and you're like, oh gosh, what have I got myself into? No, that's not how we are. We're actually invested in the lives of people. But a friendly church is built upon rescuing people, restoring people, and rebuilding people. See, the heart of God is always on these three R's, to rescue us from sin, to restore us back into authority and blessing, to rebuild us to be strong disciples so we can disciple others. That's why church is essential not only as believers, but if you wanna be a leader. The reason as to why church is so important for us to attend every week is because life gets hard. Life gets difficult, life gets tiring. There are things that happen to you that you didn't plan for. There are things that happen to you that you didn't want. There are things that happen to you that you thought, I never thought this could ever happen to me, but here I am in a crisis moment. You see, we have an enemy. We all have a common enemy here. And it's not calories and it's not trans fats, although sometimes they are. We have an enemy called the devil, called Satan, whose entire purpose is to try and ruin us. I found if I don't have church, my battery runs low and I'm no help to anyone. But when I come around fellow believers who pray for me and intercede for me, I feel as literally I can overcome any obstacle. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 reads, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That literally when I come here and I'm in a bad day and the door greeters pat me on the back and say, it's so good to see you. I'm like, you know what? Life isn't so bad after all. You know, if somebody believes in me, well, then why don't I just believe in me? 
And sometimes it's called toxic encouragement. It's like when I'm trying to be in a bad mood and you guys are really happy, I'm like, won't you just let me suffer? But you literally force me to get out of that bad mood and realize what really is at hand. Toxic encouragement, I just made that word up, (laughs) but it works. (laughs) But sometimes when we're struggling, there's no better thing we can do than enter into a positive, encouraging, faith-filled environment. To hear a word of hope that you can cling to. To hear a testimony that inspires you to keep pushing along when it gets hard. Our church is full of stories like that. We have our marriage ministry, our marriage class that meets on Sundays and also all throughout the week at people's homes. And we just hear countless stories of people who are going in fighting. We had one story where people were literally about to completely give up on their marriage and they had children, but they decided to give it one last shot in the house of God. They were completely uh, uh, dedicated on destroying the marriage, on, on losing it, on giving it all up. But when they came into a church that was rescuing, rebuilding, and restoring them, that marriage is now healthy and thriving. And I've gotta tell you, that promise is not just for one family, that promise is for everybody in a friendly church. You see, we also have people overcoming addictions and depressions. A lot of us see them, I love them, the dream center people. They overcome, you can actually not miss them. They're loud, they're proud, and they love Jesus. Come on, somebody, that's what we're talking about. But these dream center people were one time just just completely hooked on things. At one time, we're in the wrong lane of life. At one time, we're in the wrong place. But they got a second chance. You see, the dream center ministry not only cleans up the streets, but it cleans those in the streets. You see, a lot of ministries seek to clean the streets by getting people into shelters, but oftentimes they fall short of cleaning those people up so they can live a full life again. You see, Dream City Church, we're not just only cared about your outside you. Friends, I gotta tell you, we're more cared about your inside you. It doesn't matter if your outside's clean, if you got a fat daddy house and a rose gold Lambo. If your inside's messy, it's all gonna come crashing down. A friendly church rebuilds the inside you. You see, we, uh, we, we have countless testimonies of people struggling with homelessness, depression, disease, addiction, being made well again and finding the full life as Jesus talks about in John 10, 10. You're not called just to live an okay life. God promises you a full life. Life in John 10, 10. But the man who runs our dream center, Pastor Brian Steele, an incredible man of faith who's so driven, who's so intelligent, who literally meets with Congress almost every week. He's like people's heroes. He was one time in the dream center. Pastor Brian Steele is literally a product of God's grace. He was once in the same place as the people he now serves. He was once crippled by addiction and lost in the world, but he had an encounter with the one true God and he was changed forever. Now he lives by the motto of God gave me a second chance. I would be a wicked person to not do the same for others. You see, when the church is open and healthy, the mess of the world begins to get cleaned up. All the top uh, food donations, all the top ministries, all the top uh, beneficiaries of sending money and food to other nations typically come from faith organizations typically come from churches. The most amount of missionaries come from America. The most amount of food is given from Christian organizations. The most amount of medication, healthcare, and doctors come from Christian places. When the church is open and healthy, the rest of the world begins to get cleaned up. See, the reason why the devil wants a closed church or a weak church is because he's all about theft, death, and destruction. How do I know that? John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Theft, death, and destruction. If we look back at 2020, for the example, with all the rioting going on, stores were being looted, people were dying, destruction of cities, buildings, and history. All that was happening while the churches were being told to be closed and prevented from gathering and worship. While the world was losing its mind, they said, the church, you have to stay silent. As the church was closed, 
the world got messed up. I can't think of a single person who looks at 2020 and says, yeah, you know what, that was a good time to be alive. <laughs> that was a good time to walk the streets at night and <laughs> go out and have a, have a chat with people. See, when the church is silent, the world gets violent. My mom would oftentimes say that when the church loses its voice, the world will lose its way. The church will be, has been, and will continue to be the continuing compass for society to draw off of. You see, when a church is closed, it does more harm than good to people. They were trying to say you gotta close the churches because of the spread of COVID and you could kill grandma and all that stuff. And my, you know, a lot of churches like, we didn't know about COVID. So we're like, okay, let's just analyze this. But after enough data, enough seeing people come back in addictions, seeing addiction rates skyrocket, seeing suicide skyrocket, seeing domestic abuse skyrocket, people began to realize actually the church closing does far more harm than it does good. I remember a story uh, my dad told me, gosh, back, you know, back in 2023 years ago, which also is crazy to say that was three years ago. It feels, feels like last year. But my dad told me a story where they were having church and he, he preached a message. They were actually the very first and pretty much the only large church in San Diego, California to open up completely free and full to the public. And he, and he preached a sermon. He had an altar call and this woman came to the front and he began to talk to her and, and love on her and lead her to Jesus. But afterwards he began to ask her, sweetheart, how did you find church? And then she just began to immediately bawl. And it was like five minutes of like that ugly crying, but ugly crying in a beautiful way because she's at church. He just knew there's gonna be a powerful story. And so he, he, he waited for her to talk and she said, I was on my way to go kill myself. In San Diego, we have a beautiful Coronado Bridge, which is very beautiful, but it's very high up. And so if you jump off, people try and kill themselves. And she says, I was just so fear stricken, so anxiety ridden, so depressed at the world around me. I just wanted to give it all up. And my dad says the story that this woman was literally walking to the bridge to go jump. But as she was walking early on in the morning, she saw that there was a 6 a.m. interview on one of the TV screens and she couldn't help but she was drawn to watch it. And as she watched it, it was actually my dad giving a 6 a.m. interview with one of the local news stations as to why he was defying the order. And they were grilling him, you're killing grandma, you're a super spreader. They called him a plague rat. They literally wrote articles about my dad in the newspaper calling him a plague rat. He got so much hate mail, which is funny because he turned that into like a beautiful collage. I'm like, take that, but that's cool. But so she saw this man being willing to take all this abuse and to take all the pressure and to take all the anxiety. And she had to ask herself, well, why would he do that? And so, believe it or not, that was a Sunday morning. So this woman who was walking to go jump off a bridge said, let me just try out church. And if it doesn't work, I know what I'm gonna do. And it was that Sunday that she walked in and had an encounter with God and got our life completely set free, transformed and healed. And she's still with us today. Can I get a quick amen in the house of God? You see, my dad was willing to pay the price of public scrutiny to enable the church to rescue, restore, and rebuild that one woman's life. You see, a friendly church is willing to pay itself the cost to see someone else succeed. A friendly church is willing to expense itself to save people. You see, the devil's willing to do whatever it takes to ruin people's lives and steal them away from the kingdom of God. So we as the church need to be doing whatever it takes to bring people to the kingdom of God. We need to be willing to pay the price just like how there was a price paid for us. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, we encounter the story of the Good Samaritan. A lot of us have heard this story, but there was a man, he was walking, a Jewish man, he got beaten up by some thieves and he was laying on the side of the road. And the first story goes that there was a priest and then he looks at this man and he walks into the side of the street. And Jesus is telling this to a group of people because the people like the priest, oh, he should take care of him. Then she says, and then the next day, there was a second person who walked by, a Levite, one of the most high, noble, and really good people of the day. And the Jews were like, okay, this guy's gonna take care of him. But this guy saw the man bruised. He didn't wanna deal with it, so he walked away. 
And then the third one, Jesus said, was there was a Samaritan man who walked in. And back then, right after they came back from exile in Babylon, the, the Jews that remained that interbred with the local people were Samarians. And Jesus did not, or, or the Jews did not like Samaritan people. In fact, they would go out of their way to not even walk on Samaritan land, thinking that if they stepped foot on Samaritan soil, it would ruin themselves. And so when Jesus is saying the Samaritan comes, the Jews are like, oh, here we go. He probably kicked him again. <laughs> he probably took his wallet. That's what they were thinking Jesus would say the Samaritan did. But Jesus didn't say that. He said that the Samaritan man picked up himself. He picked up this young man, put him on his own donkey. So the Samaritan man had to walk on his own two feet while this other man who was beaten was riding his donkey, took him to an inn, and he paid himself the price for the well-being of the stranger. Friends, I gotta tell you that Good Samaritan was always a shadow of Jesus. It was a person himself, an outsider, who was willing to pay the price so that someone else could be made blessed. It was a shadow of what he was gonna do later on the cross, to pay for the wounds of someone else out of his own means. That the story goes that the Good Samaritan said, you take care of him. Here, I'm giving you two denarii, which is two days wages. And when I come back, not only will he be made better, but if there's anything else, I'll pay for it then too. You see, church, that's why we teach financial stewardship in the house of God. That's why we talk about giving every week, even though sometimes it's annoying to hear. That's why we pray over you and believe for God, or believe for you that God will prosper you. So that way you'll be financially set up to help those around you. The biblical definition of someone who's rich is this right here. The biblical definition of rich is someone who has more than enough so he can provide for others. He has more than enough. The biblical definition of poor is this, one who only has enough for himself. Friends, I gotta tell you a lot of people tell you you should only have enough for you. You should only have enough money for you. You should only drive a car that's enough for you, but God's not a God of enough. He says, well, wait a sec, you're missing the whole point. The very first person who said, I only want enough for me, was Cain. When God says, Cain, where's your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? I'm only gonna look after my life. Why would I bother looking after somebody else? The same spirit of Cain is the same spirit that says you should only have enough for you. What we saw in the good story, the Good Samaritan, in Luke 10, 35, we'll go over it. It said, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses. Two denarii is two days wages. He had extra wages on hand to not only cover the immediate cost, but also any interest that might have occurred. Since this man was financially sound, he was able to accomplish a great work for the kingdom. Friends, I've gotta tell you, you are blessed to be a blessing. Jesus teaches that we're to spend what is least valuable to gain what is most valuable. When we enter into heaven, we won't be able to take any money with us. Friends, I gotta tell you, there's not a real estate market in heaven you gotta prepare for. You don't gotta go in with a 401k and have some money for a down payment on your home that's given to you. There aren't any beggars in heaven, right? There's not somebody standing right outside the gates of heaven where you're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, oh, this is awkward. I left all my money back at earth, <laughs> I promise. Right, that's not gonna be a thing. Money, truthfully, isn't that valuable since you can't bring it with you to the other side of eternity. See, see, the ways of the world as we see in pyramid schemes and some but not all multi-level marketing companies is that they tell you you use your friends to make you money. A lot of us know that. You use friends to make you money. But literally in Luke 16, 9, Jesus said the opposite. He said that you use your money to make you friends because you can't take money with you to heaven, but you can't take your friends. 
Friends, I gotta tell you that Jesus has nothing against us having money, but he has everything against money having you. Uh, if you love your money more than a soul that could enter into heaven, and that's where Jesus has a problem. A friendly church is willing to spare no expense to see souls come to the kingdom of God. We have a ministry at our church called JC Supercars, done by a terrific man in our church named Aaron Trudeau. His wife works at the food bank, Mom's Pantry. They're a terrific couple. But JC Supercars is literally a ministry of our church, partnered with our church, that this man himself takes old, beaten, run-down cars, and he spends his own money, his own time, and his own effort to fully restore, restore, rebuild, and renew these cars, to fully refurbish them for people of the church. And then after they're fully refurbished, he's paid his own money into these cars. He then finds typically mothers, single mothers in need, and he gives it to them for free. He's willing to expense his own life to bless somebody else because he says, I can't take this with me in eternity. But you know what I can take in eternity is you. He knows if I'm friendly to you, if I'm willing to expense myself to you, there might be an extra chance that you'll come into the house of God. You see, we have uh, people on our church staff, people on our church team who have been blessed by this ministry, giving fully renovated cars to mothers, single mothers, and people who are in need. Aaron Trudeau, this guy for JC Supercars, he also has a thing called Man Up Mondays, where they take kids from broken families or inner city kids, and he teaches them how to work on cars, teaches them mechanical skills every Monday for free, because he realizes, I can't take my skills with me into heaven. There's not going to be cars to fix. Come on, we're all going to be flying. Come on, somebody. He says, but I can't take you in with me to heaven. Friends, I gotta tell you, a friendly church is willing to spend what it can't keep to gain what it can't afford to lose. The biggest foolish transaction is seeking to keep what you can't take with you and losing what you had a chance to bring with you. You see, the reason why a friendly church spares no expense is because God spared no expense when he sent his very best, his son Jesus, to pay the price that I couldn't pay. That a friendly church is a doorway to the salvation of Jesus. So point number three, last point this morning, last point this morning. A friendly church has the power to save lives. A friendly church has the power to save lives. That's a you know, pretty good point right there. The real breakthrough of why a friendly church is so effective is because it forces the people around us to ask this question. Why are you so friendly? You'll know you're actually truthfully being friendly or a part of America's Friendliest Church when people look at you and say, why the heck are you so friendly? <laughs> They're kind of mad at you. Why are you so friendly? Because people won't be able to reconcile the fact that a human, a sinner, a flawed person can operate in a way in his own strength. And people are right. How can you do this? You can't. Because it points people back to Jesus. You see, the point of church and the the point of doing the works of Christ is to show people how much God loves them. I'll never forget when I was in Bible college with my beautiful wife, I took a theology course and it was one of my favorite courses I ever took. But the professor was telling us an encounter he had that really shook me to my core. He was, my professor was a, 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 he had his doctorate in apologetics. He knew every single argument as to why God was real, why creation was real. And he would debate uh, professors at Harvard and all those places all the time. And he was flying to one of these events and he was sitting next to a man and my professor, he was a pastor at the time, pulled out his Bible. He began to read it. And the guy to his left said, oh, you're reading the Bible. He said, yes, I am. The person to his left said, so are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. And then my professor said to the person to his left, he said, well, what do you do? And he said, oh, well, I'm a biochemist. I love to figure out why things are the way they are and figure out where life came from. And I was like, kind of like the, the red alarm. I was like the red rag to a bull. He's like, where they came from? So my professor begins to give him the whole litany of why God is real, of the fact that 
we can trace time, matter, and space starting in one single place. The fact that the universe is still expanding outward, which means it had one point inward, which points to the fact that there was an intelligent designer. All these things. And halfway through my professor's giving this speech, the biochemist just says, stop. Stop, stop right there. The biochemist said, I believe in God. But then he went on to say, I just don't believe that God cares about me. It's that moment that just, boom, hit my professor like a ton of bricks. He'd spent his whole life seeking to prove that God was real, when in reality, he needed to spend his life proving that God really loves him. Friends, I gotta tell you, it's my job is less than showing people that God's real, but that God is really in love with them. We aren't friendly because we know God. We're friendly because we know the love of God. See, that church isn't only a place to learn about God, but it's a house to encounter God, to come face to face with the truth of salvation and the grace that Jesus provides. The, the power of church, it's not a, a church is not a hotel for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. Now, I love hanging out with my friends at church each week, and I'm spoiled to be a part of a great church with great people. But the reason why it's great is because this church has decided to enlarge its circle of love. That even sparrows can find a home in the house of God. To not be content with just a few friends to see each week, but the desire to make it bigger every opportunity we can. You see, when we come into this church, we enter one way and we encounter the presence of God and then we get our new God-given identity, destiny, community, and we leave a different way. We see this clearly in the Old Testament with the story of Rahab. Hebrews eleven thirty one. it was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she'd given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab's faith saved her entire family. Rahab, in case you don't know, was a prostitute who when the spies went into the city of Jericho, the spies had to hide in her house and she chose to obey God rather than the world. A woman of the night, a harlot, a woman who everybody despised, everybody abused, everybody rejected. We don't know her backstory of how she got there. Perhaps her dad never loved her. Perhaps her dad wasn't in the picture. Perhaps she was abused as a child and carried trauma with her. We don't know what happened in the past of Rahab's life. We just actually only see Rahab in the story of when she's in the house of God. We only ever learn of Rahab of when she decides she wants to follow God. The faith of one woman, this former sinner, a woman that people would have rejected, despised, saved her entire family because she was not only willing to believe God, but she, when the time came, was willing to obey God. Friends, I gotta tell you, a lot of people believe in God that doesn't get them into heaven. St. James says that even the demons believe in God and they shudder at the name of Jesus. The main difference between them and us is we obey God. The power of the church saves lives because the power of the church teaches people the power of obeying God. But now what's beautiful about Rahab is, is, is she's no longer known only as the prostitute. But she's in Hebrews 11, which is called the Hall of Fame of the Bible, the Hall of Heroes. She's an incredible woman of faith. She's no longer bound to the life of sin, but the Bible records that she has a new life. And what's beautiful about God is that this woman that was abused by men had many lovers who was deemed worthless. This same woman eventually marries a man named Salmon in the Bible, who's the father of Boaz in the Bible, who's the grandfather of King David in the Bible whose descendant is later named Jesus Christ. 
So this one woman, the prostitute, this one woman who was just a sparrow lost in the world, when she found her home in the house of God, God turned her from a prostitute to a princess. That she was the great-great-grandmother of King David. That when you trace Jesus Christ back up to the roots, you can't help but come across this woman named Rahab, who everybody hated. But because she made a decision to join the house of God, her life was changed forever. Friends, I gotta tell you, the church is not a hotel for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be obedient. So many of us think that we have to be perfect to be used by God, but all you have to do is be obedient to him when he calls you. Now, the measure of which you separate yourself from the world and sanctify yourself, you can expect to hear more of God and allow yourself to be used more frequently, but all God ever asks is to be obedient. You just have to be in his presence. Pastor Tommy would always say, and I'm gonna close with this story, he'd always say that sometimes you just have to belong to believe. Sometimes before people ever truly believe, ever truly understand, or ever truly walk in the calling of God, they just had to attend with their friends every week. My dad would tell me the story of when he was youth pastor back in New Zealand. There was this man named David in his youth group. Not a very intelligent guy, not a very, anything really special about this guy. In fact, he was about to graduate out of church, but my dad knew if this guy left the youth group, He's just not ready for main church, and then I just his life would be a wreck. And so my dad told him, he said, David, I want you to be my cleanup crew manager. He's like, and my dad put all these bells and whistles on it, made it sound much better than it was to be saying you're gonna be the head janitor. <laughs> cleanup crew manager. And he was like, me? You think me? He's like, mate, I believe in you. I think there's a calling. You're gonna be the best one we have. Because after every service, their youth group met on Saturday nights and they'd have to get it clean before church on Sunday. My dad liked to throw a big party. So he was like, you can clean it and you can feel good about it. How great is that? <laughs> and so the story goes on that after about two weeks, there's another service and, and David comes in and he says, Pastor Jürgen, I've done a very bad thing. He's from New Zealand. I've done a very bad thing. My dad was like, oh my God, you've murdered someone. He's like, you're the Manicow City murderer. He's like, that's where his mind immediately went to. But David reached into his bag and he pulled out a, uh, like one of these suit jackets and he turned it around and on the back it said, tear down crew manager. He says, I think this is prideful, isn't it? My dad was like, what the heck? No, this is incredible. I love that you're championing this. I love that you believe in yourself. This is amazing. Don't feel bad. You're called for this. So my dad would tell the stories that, you know, they'd be having powerful moves of the Holy Ghost at youth service and kids would be slain in the spirit. But as soon as it hit 10 and service was done, this guy would come over and start cleaning. So there'd be people on the floor slain in the spirit and he would like lift up their heads and be like, like them. My dad was like, my dad was like, you know what? You can wait, just wait five minutes. But that's how serious he took his calling. He had been saved, but he had a calling that he wanted to take. And the story goes, my dad tells it, in the church after about a year, there was a man who owned a grocery store who was looking to hire someone part-time to just help kind of stock all the shelves and clean up. My dad said, well, actually, my cleanup crew manager, David, he does a terrific job. I know he's not intelligent, all these other things, but I think he'd be a shoo-in for your job. So the man said, all right, I trust you, Pastor. You're gonna begin to hire him. And the man found that every single night, everything was placed perfectly. In fact, he could actually begin to show up later the next mornings because he knew David would do such a good job. So then David began to get a promotion. He began to just supervise the whole store. And then one of the local big chains caught wind of how incredible this man was and they headhunted him themselves and said, we wanna put you over a couple stores and see how you do. 
But David, because he then understood the power of his calling, the power of what happened that he discovered in church when no one was around, he began to not only prosper, but build teams and show people why he was so successful. And then he began to get promoted again and promoted again and promoted again. And he was actually overseeing and managing all the chains of grocery stores for this one big company in New Zealand. He bought a house. He got married. He had children that he put in private school. That this man, who some said was too stupid to do anything, ended up being a person of influence in a country. Why? Because he obeyed. But friends, sometimes I gotta tell you, he belonged before he believed. Before he believed in the power of himself, he belonged to a life-bringing church. Friends, I gotta tell you, what makes Dream City Church so powerful is the life transformation and testimonies that we get from this church. That was just one story that I've heard in my past. We have thousands of stories like that here. When you come into America's friendliest church, even the sparrow finds a home. You get restored and rebuilt and renewed and refreshed. And also you find a new life that God has for you. But sometimes people have to belong before they believe because when they belong, they find out that God believes in them and has a plan for them. It's the same with all of us. Some of us might feel like sparrows trying to find a home. Some of us might be majestic birds and already resting in the house, but you wanna get more out of life. The best way to find that answer is by saying yes to God. In my life, I carry two sets of memories. The times that I said yes to God and then all of my regrets. Because every time I've said no, I've ended up regretting it. If I could have everybody just begin to just uh, embrace uh, a moment with God. You can open, you can keep your eyes open, you can close them. I always typically close them just because it helps me hear God clearer. But as I've been preaching this morning, perhaps you find yourself in some of the camps. Perhaps you are literally fighting a mountain in front of you. You're in a horrible season of storm. You don't, you don't think anybody believes in you, believes in your plan, believes in what you have, or perhaps you're just lost and searching for a home. And you're saying, I wanna find a home. Or perhaps some of you are caught up like Rahab. You're living a life of sin. You're saying, how do I turn it around? Friends, I gotta tell you, the answer is found in just saying yes to God. If you're in this place this morning and you'd like to make your house or your home in God for the first time or for the first time in a long time, or perhaps you just feel far from God and want a fresh encounter with Him, then on the count of three with, with everybody in a solemn moment of grace with no pressure on you, with every head bowed and eye closed, if you could just lift up your hands so I know who to pray for. Just lift up your hands this morning on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you right there, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, I see that hand. Man, thank you, I see those hands. Thank you up there, I see that hand. Thank you, praise God. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Praise God, praise God. Thank you, I see that hand. Praise God. Man, you can put your hands down. If I could have everybody repeat after me, we're gonna go over what's called the prayer of redemption. Because as I was saying, there was a price paid for us. Not so that we could live in fear or shame, but we can live in joy in God. If I could have everybody repeat after me this morning, everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I choose to serve you. I choose to spend what I can't keep in order to gain what I can't lose. Lord Jesus, I love you. I'm gonna serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
Amen. Let's give a big shout of praise in the house of God.